our expository series in the book of Romans. And that series continues now in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. So please turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back table. Let me encourage you to grab a Bible, open it up, look at those texts, and put your fingers on them. Because the Word of God is what's going to change your life, not my words. And so I'm preaching the Word of God. So I want you to read. I want you to say, hey, is this what it says, Al? What is Scripture saying to me? What, what is God saying to me through His Word? So Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. The title of our message this morning is United with Christ. And so that title captures where we have been in Romans. So you might be asking yourself, Al, you're picking back up on the book of Romans, right? You'd be right if you asked me that. Then you'd ask me, but where did you leave off in the book of Romans, right? I mean, Monday, for some of you this is a non-event, but Monday, 5-5-14, starts a TV series that I happen to like. It's called 24. And so they always say, in previous episodes, right? Because it's a week between episodes, and you forgot what happened last week. So in previous episodes in the book of Romans, the theme was united with Christ. Romans chapter 5 verses 12 to 21, which is the last paragraph that I preached in Romans, right before Romans 6.1, talked about being united with Christ. It actually talked about us being made righteous before God based upon our unity or being united with Christ. In other words, what it said was this. You are made right with God, not based upon your good works, how many things you do, how much money you give, how many times you go to church. No, no, no. You're made right with God based upon what Christ has done. And just to refresh your memories, I have a scripture here for you. And that is Romans 5, 19 to 20. And this is what it says. For as by one man's disobedience, and again, just to remind you what happened in previous episodes, if you remember in 24, they kind of give you a montage of what happened in the previous episodes to kind of stir your mind up to realize what happened. Well, in the previous episodes, we found ourselves under the disobedience of one man, and that one man is Adam. Every human being that was born was born under the disobedience of Adam in the Garden of Eden. So as for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So if that's true, if being united in Adam, that is to say being born a human being, so I'm united with Adam, means I'm united with his sin, means I'm made unrighteous by his disobedience, that's bad news. But here's the good news. So, comma, so, by the one man's obedience, and that one man is Jesus Christ. The Bible calls him the second Adam. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The many who trust Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you do not trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, oh, my prayer for you is that you would do that. You would do that. So by that one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So this united with Christ, our righteousness is because we're united with Christ. God unites us with Christ. Here is now the portion of that teaching from last week in verse 20 that Paul is going to address in verse 1 of chapter 6. Now, the law came to increase the trespass. And remember, when we ended off in that sermon, we said the way that the law increases trespass is the same way that my command to my children increases what they do wrong. 
if my children do something wrong that's maybe illegal, and it's just, they just do it, I didn't say don't do it, that's bad. But if I walk up to them and say, do not touch that light socket, and it's wrong to touch the light socket, they're going to get electrocuted. But what makes it even worse is that they looked me in the eyes and they went, <laughs> okay, so when the law came, it's like God being very explicit with mankind and mankind going, all right? I mean, they were already sinning before the law came, but when the law came, it was explicit. It increased. It increased. So, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace, grace describes what God did for us and uniting us with Christ and giving us the merits of his obedience in verse 19. When grace came, so when the, the sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, Go to chapter 6, verse 1. And you're going to see in chapter 6, verse 1, that Paul throws a question out. This is his question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the question. Let's pray and hear the answer. Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, a picture, even as Jim prayed of your love, according to the riches of your grace, it says there in that text that he read. That grace that called me, that grace that made me right before you, based not on my obedience, but Christ. So Lord, help us to see that in this text. And may your people be encouraged. May you be glorified. Lord, help me to preach, Lord. I pray for your grace to preach in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what is the answer to that question? Is the answer to that question that if when sin increased, grace abounded all the more, should we then sin all the more? Look at verse 1 again. That grace might increase? Look at Paul's answer in verse 2. By no means. Me genita. Very, that's Greek. Very, very. That's Greek for like, no way, really no, even some colorful words could be thrown in there before no. That's what Paul is saying. Why? Listen to his logic. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? So what Paul is saying is, you don't understand my gospel, and it's not his gospel, he would tell you it's God's gospel, If you ask the question in verse 1, you're not understanding the gospel. You're missing the gospel. So what Paul does now, here in Romans 6, verses 2 to 10, is he's going to give us the gospel again. He's going to help us understand what, what it means for us to be united with Christ, and therefore, because we're united with Christ, we're made righteous before God based on Christ's obedience, not mine. And he's going to explain that to us. And here's my burden for you. If you are here this morning as a believer, my burden for you is that you would believe this. You would believe this and you would trust God, especially in light of your battle with sin. And if you're an unbeliever, here's my burden for you. That you would listen carefully because Paul is going to restate what the gospel is. He's going to restate 
what this fancy term justification means, that is to say, to be made right with God by Jesus' sacrifice, death, and resurrection. He's going to restate it. And here's my prayer, that you would hear it this morning, perhaps for the first time with new ears and a heart that believes, and that you might obey, that you might obey. That's my prayer. Because here's the main point of the text. God unites us with Christ, setting us free from the power of sin. God unites us with Christ, setting us free from the power of sin. Oh, we found out in Romans chapter 5 that God unites us with Christ and therefore makes us right with him, point in time. The fancy theological term for that is justification, and that is true. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone because God unites us with Christ. We now have his obedience, and we're right with God. But what Paul is now going to teach is that based on being united with Christ in justification, we are now set free from the power of sin in what the Bible calls sanctification. That is to say, God begins to work in our lives so that we change as Christians. We begin to obey his law. We love his law. We want to obey his law. But here's my burden for you, dear Christian. At times, we find ourselves breaking his law and sinning. And so we look at this theme and we look at this text and we say, okay, God's united me with Christ and I know I'm justified, but I don't feel very set free from sin, Al. Al, I, I, I feel like sin has power over me. If, it, it, we're tempted to ask this question. Al, if God has united me with Christ, and thus set me free from the power of sin, why do I still sin? And in some areas, sin blatantly and repeatedly. See, this text offers me an opportunity to pastor you and to care for you and actually to care for myself because I ask the same question. If you're an unbeliever, it offers me an opportunity to care for you by preaching the truth to you and trusting God to open your eyes that he might justify you by faith alone in Christ alone, uniting you with Christ. But as a believer, and I suspect most of you here are believers, it's an opportunity for me to just lean into you and say, I want to give you hope in the midst of that truth in this text when you don't experience that truth every day. When for you, perhaps, there's some hidden sin or maybe some not-so-hidden sin and it's the kind of sin that mocks us. It's the kind of sin that screams at us. It's the kind of sin that says, you know what? How can you, Al, regularly think, say, or do that thing? And there's that thing in my life like there's that thing in your life. Actually, there, there are those things in our lives. And still be a Christian. Hey, Al, so where is God in this text, in this truth, in the midst of a situation and a battle where sin seems to have the power over you. Power over sin, Al? I have no power over this sin. It has power over me. I'm the one who feels powerless. I'm the one who feels like I'm on the ground and sin's got its foot on my chest and just mocking me. You know I like basketball metaphors? Slam dunk and come down, and the guy you slam dunk on is laying on the ground, and you're just like looking at him. And you just walk away, or jog away. That's me in sin, just slam dunked on me. 
I'll care for my soul in this moment because I am hurting. It's why I don't come to church regularly. It's why I don't go to community group regularly. It's why people look at my life and say, you Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Help me. Friends, I'm here, I pray, to care for your soul and to tell you this. There's hope for us in this text. This text begins with statements, what are called indicatives, things that are true, and it ends with an indicative statement, a thing that is true, something that is very true. And it tells us that we're united with Christ, which means what is true about Jesus is true about me. If I was born united to Adam and what was true about him, he's a sinner and he deserves a punishment and he's dying and he is dead spiritually. And it is true about every human being that's born because we're united with Adam. Then when I'm born again, when I'm united to Christ, what's true about Christ, the second Adam, now my new head, because I'm in that new humanity, what's true about him is true about me. Even in the days when it doesn't look like it's true about me. When I keep getting angry at tr in traffic, and that's one for me, I'm just here to tell you. I, I get in traffic, I could be praying, I could be seeking God, I could be in the seventh heaven, I could be driving here to, to preach to you, and somebody cuts me off, I'd lost it. I'd just start driving aggressively. And, and forget if I drove aggressively. I know my heart, man. <laughs> I'm killing that person in my heart. And when it's done, I'm like, what is wrong with you? Are you even a Christian now? That's usually the second question. The first question is, gee, I hope they don't go to the church. <laughs> I haven't done that to any of you guys, have I? <laughs> Church, here's the deal. If we're united with Christ, what's true about this text is true about us. So let's read it. Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No way. By no means. No. Verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Remember, what's true about Christ is true about us. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, and we have, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Yes. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And here's the final promise. I love that Paul ends with the promise. Verse 14. Dear, dear believers, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. That is the headline over this text. United with Christ, point one. What does that mean? Listen carefully. Here comes the gospel, dear unbeliever. It means that we have subpoint one died to sin. Now, we have to be very careful to define this. If you'll notice uh, that further down in the text, you will see that it says of Jesus in verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin. So we've got to understand died to sin in verse 2, which is key to understanding this whole text, in light of what Jesus experienced when he died to sin. So you can't say died to sin is that we've died totally to any impulse towards sin, because that wouldn't apply to Jesus. Jesus never sinned. And we can't say if that's what it means, because further down in the text, he's telling Christians not to sin. So if we've totally died to every impulse to sin, why would he tell Christians in verse 12, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies? So what does he mean, died to sin? Here's what it means, and this is where you have to remember previous episodes, okay? Chapter 5. Remember that it said in chapter 5 that we were all in sin. Why? Because we shared the sin of our father, Adam. Every human being that's born is born into the sin of Adam. His disobedience became our disobedience. What Christ did when he was born, because it was a virgin birth, he never shared in that disobedience. Remember, Mary was his mother. He was born of a virgin. Miraculous, for a reason. That bloodline did not come to him. He was born as the second Adam. And when he died on the cross, when he was crucified on the cross, and we see actually this terminology several places here in our text, it speaks about us having died with Christ. You see that in the first part of verse 8? It speaks about our old self in verse 6, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. We see this terminology here. What that means is, remember, we're united with Christ. What's true of him is true of us. Jesus, representing us as the second Adam, having no sin, died on the cross with all of the judgment that the first Adam and all those who are in him, every human being, deserve. So he died there. And because we're united with Christ, we died to sin there. That is to say, our old man, who we were in Adam in our first birth, died. But that's not all that happened. That is not all that happened. Subpoint two, we're alive to God in our unity with Christ. Oh, friends, Jesus, three days later, we just celebrated this a couple of weeks ago, rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, the Bible says that he, defeat, he defeated sin and death in this, in this transaction, death on the cross and resurrection. He died as our representative. He bore the penalty every human being deserves. But then three days later, God received his sacrifice 
and raised him from the dead. And that resurrection from the dead, we get to participate in. Remember, what's true of Christ is true of us. Now, you see, you see this in the text in verses 3 and 4. They're, they're verses that speak of baptism, though this text is not about baptism. But all it's saying there is that we've been baptized, verse 3, into Christ. We were baptized into his death, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. All that is saying is this. Baptism is the, the sign of the covenant, the, 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 the sacrament that we celebrate it's an external representation of what happened spiritually. All Paul is saying is there, there is, listen, I'm speaking about a Christian here. I'm speaking about one who has died, been buried, and raised from the dead with Jesus Christ. For Paul to be a Christian and not be baptized didn't exist. Remember, New Testament church, you got saved, you got baptized. Just study the book of Acts all over the place. It's not baptism he wants to highlight. It's our unity in Christ that we have died buried and raised with him. Christ's death led to Christ's resurrection, and we participate in that resurrection. We have now a new identity in Christ. And therefore, in verse 11, what Paul is telling us, based upon these gospel indicatives, what I've just preached to you, the truths about the gospel, here comes an exhortation in verse 11. Look at it. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, wait a second now. If I'm already dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, why do I have to consider myself that? Well, here we are. Here's the part that we get to understand and really put our minds to. Because we live in the time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Many theologians call this time the already, not yet. What do I mean by that? When Christ rose from the dead, the power of the end, the power of God's resurrection, the power of when Jesus comes back and resurrects us and gives us perfect immortal bodies and institutes a new heaven and a new earth, that power broke in to history in 33 A.D., It broke into history. Something was changed, inaugurated. The kingdom of God came. Jesus said, I've come preaching the kingdom of God. That kingdom is here. Jesus has won the victory. He's defeated Satan. Satan has been bound. Sin and death have been defeated. But the full consummation of that victory and of that kingdom has not yet come. Already not yet. And it won't come till Jesus returns one day and gives me a new body. See, I've been raised from the dead. I'm alive to God, but there are some things I haven't yet experienced. I still have this old body that's getting older. I just started this 21-day fix with the P90X thing, you know. I can't even walk up these stairs. My quads are killing me. I did day one. You know, I'm the big, tough guy. I can do this, right? Yeah. I did. I was like, ah. I get out of bed like I'm screaming. Okay, in heaven, that won't happen. I won't have to do a 21-day fix, okay? I got an eternal fix. Yes, no more diets. Thank you. But, but I have experienced the new life of God, just not fully. Now, listen, when Jesus comes back, when it's consummated, no more sin. I am set free from sin, Christian. 
Non-Christian, you're not. You're bound to sin. You can't do anything but sin. Romans 1 says, you are a slave to sin. Christian, we're not slaves to sin. That's what Jesus is saying here. Another illustration. Final one. Hopefully this will carry the, the weight, I think, of what, what can help us in the moments when we're sinning like crazy to still remember we're still citizens of the kingdom of God. Imagine a wicked kingdom and imagine a good kingdom and the good king sending his forces to conquer the wicked king and his kingdom and binding that king and taking the major capital cities of that kingdom and ruling in that kingdom, yes. But, but some of those enemy warriors flee to the hills. They're guerrillas. That's an inside joke, which you will, I'll let you in on in a moment. They're guerrillas. They're rebels. And though we are under a new government and a new king, every once in a while those guerrillas come down from the hills, those rebels come down from the hills, and they will blow up a water station. They will disrupt electricity. They will be terrorists if you want to look at it that way. They don't rule me. They don't, they don't, they're not ruling my life. But sometimes I do give in to them. And sometimes that battle is a pitch battle. That's what we're talking about. That leads us to point two, set free from the power of sin. There is no doubt about it, dear church, that we are set free from the power of sin. That has happened in Christ. That's what the scripture teaches us. We are set free, point two, from the power of Christ. Because he died and now lives to God, we've died and we now live to God. Verses 2 to 10 are the indicative facts. Verses now 11 to 13 are the imperatives or the exhortations. Because that's true, this is true. Now listen, non-believer, this is where I want you to listen to me. I know you may be looking around. You may look at me. You may be one of those people that I ran off the road the other day. I don't know. And you may say, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Yes and no. I'm a hypocrite if I don't acknowledge that I'm doing it. That's not giving me an excuse to keep doing it. And hold me accountable that I stopped doing it, okay? Uh, but, but I'm just saying to you, at that moment, in my seat next to me, was this imaginary terrorist who had a gun to my head. And he's saying, run him off the road! <laughs> and I obeyed him. I did it willingly. I'm not blaming him. And by the way, he had no bullets in his gun, right? He's been defeated. But I give in to the rebel. I give in to the enemy. And oftentimes that enemy is within me. We're going to look at that in chapters 7 and 8. But, but I'm set free from sin because I'm united with Christ. Because he died on the cross. I died to the old man in Adam and he raised from the dead and I'm alive now in newness of life to God. And so therefore, I'm free to not sin. I'm free to say no. I don't have to come underneath the rain, first bullet point, of sin in my life. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Do you see this kingdom analogy, this governmental analogy? Who's ruling you? Well, Jesus is ruling you. Who are you allowing to rule you? See, obviously the, op- the option of allowing sin to reign in me is there because Paul is telling people, don't let it happen. Okay? So that's why dead to sin can't mean dead to every impulse to sin, can't mean perfection. No, no. Paul's, people are going to sin, but it just means you count yourself as dead to sin. It's a battle. The enemy is there, but let's go after him. Let's go after him. 
Next bullet point, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. As those free from the tyranny of Satan's kingdom, we are now free to say no. We don't have to sin. We no longer give our members as instruments. By the way, that Greek word instruments, we translate instruments here. Uh, it has a range of meaning, and one of the meanings is weapons. You could translate that. Stop giving your members as weapons for unrighteousness. So remember, you got two kingdoms. And so the kingdom of righteousness and the kingdom of unrighteousness. Now, the kingdom of righteousness has won the day, but sometimes, without being it, we can sort of go over to the other kingdom and offer our, our, our members what we do, say, think, as weapons for unrighteousness. And that's when the world looks at us and says, hmm, this doesn't make sense. It's not what they're preaching. That's when we can say, yeah, you're right. We need help. Come help us. Confess our sins. And trust God. And trust God. Here's the question for you. In what area of your life is the fight against sin particularly difficult? Jot it down. I gave you one in my life. My family is aware of those areas. Ask people to help you with that area. Now, it's not just negative. It's not just do not let sin reign in your body. It's not just don't present your members to sin. Here comes the positive. Present yourselves to God. Go back to verse 13, first part. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. I love this because what he's saying is, listen, remember... Keep becoming who you are becoming. All right? We have that new life already. It's not yet perfected or consummated. But keep becoming who you are becoming. I am now living under the reign of God Almighty, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Saint God the Son, who died on the cross for me, who rose from the dead, that I might be united to him by God the Holy Spirit, and they work together to give me new life. It's, one, it's once been said that the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian when he's sinning in a particularly egregious sin is the difference between a pig and a lamb. The pig falls into the mud and starts doing the backstroke. The lamb falls into the mud and is trying to get out as fast as it can. That's, that's a big difference. I love the law. It breaks my heart when I break it. I'm going to keep going because I've got this promise that we're going to get to in just a moment in verse 14, that sin will not have dominion over me. That one day I will reach that sinless perfection. It's not going to be today. But that hope, the hope of Jesus coming, the hope of eternity, the hope that his righteousness and his obedience is what gains me favor with God, not mine. That hope keeps me going, keeps me going. I get back up, I dust myself off, you know, take the shower and get the mud off. I walk two steps, boom, I'm back in it. Get back up, take a shower, walk two steps, boom, I get in my car and I'm back in it. I take two steps, you know, but I'm just, I'm not going to stop. Because I'm accepted by God. My sin doesn't affect my acceptedness with God because my acceptedness with God is based on Christ's obedience. But then that obedience gives me new life so that I say, I, I, I love your law. I want to do that, Lord. That hope, that, that eschaton, that eschatological end time, eschaton hope has broken into my present reality and it gives me the grace and the strength to keep going when I'm just living a life that's like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this again. And I know the Father loves me. That section that Jim read from Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, I'm memorizing. So that the highlight is the love of God. 
the love of God. And that's what brings us to verse 14. After we have done what verse 13 says, which is to present ourselves to God, and then the next bullet point, after we've presented our members as instruments or weapons for righteousness, look at verse 14, and here's the final point. Sin will not have dominion over you. Sin will not have dominion over you. Oh, I love this point. Read it with me. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What does that mean, I'm not under law, Al? Does that mean I no longer have to obey the law? Oh, no, that's not what it means. You don't understand the gospel if you're asking that question. That's the first question. We're back to the grace question. Verse 1, hey, if grace is going to abound, if I sin all the more, let me just sin all the more, right? Verse 14, it's like, no, it's like a capstone here of the argument. No, no, you you don't get the gospel yet. That righteousness, being united with Christ, gives me literally a new life, a new heart. I want to obey God. And and what I love about 14 is this. God promises that one day that stubborn sin in Alpino will no longer have dominion over him. Though today it sure looks like it's having dominion over him. The game's not over. Hit all the three-pointers you want on me in my face. Mock me as you run back to your side of the court. Dunk on me all you want, whatever metaphor you want to use. Win in a game of cards, you know, defeat me in, you know, finances. But sin will not have dominion over me because I have been taken from this realm of the law. All that means is the first Adam. All that means is all of us that were born underneath that sin. And when the law came, it increased that sin. I'm no longer under that. When Jesus came, he brought now the grace. So I live under grace. I live under Jesus' obedience as my justification. I live under a new life because I'm united with Christ. Death to the old. I'm alive to the new. And because of that, there's a new power, a power that's going to enable me to obey God. And hopefully a power that's going to comfort me when I don't. One day, those mocking questions are going to end. That's what the promise is. I love what Thomas Schreiner says about the difference between the law and the grace. He says this, Believers are no longer in the old redemptive era where sin exercised dominion through the law and death. We studied that in 520 to 21. They are in the new era of redemptive history in which grace reigns. That sin doesn't define me. It's a rebel force. That's not who reigns in Alpino's life. It is Jesus Christ, and I'm becoming who I'm becoming in Christ, and my hope is that day. Has that new era dawned in your life? If you are one who's been united with Christ, then realize this. Even though we can't fully realize all that that resurrection life means because the end hasn't come yet, we can, still, we can still enjoy the blessings of it. We can enjoy the blessings of Colossians 1.13 that says this. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. Oh, yes, he has. And transformed, uh, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So that sin, that sin in your life that raises those mocking questions about God will not have dominion over you. Its voice will be silenced one day. 
Now, I, I pray for me that it gets silenced progressively. I pray I grow in these areas. But my hope today is that one day I will be free from this power. This keeps me going. This keeps me going. For we are united with Christ by God's grace. God, having united us with Christ, breaks the power of sin in our lives and transforms us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light.